0: Thank you, Stringer Clan. What a great message and song, How Deep the Father's Love. First of all, thank you for your prayers and your support and your expressions of love. Uh, I'll just, from my side of this, is that to think that ten days ago I had a heart procedure is amazing to me. It borders on the miraculous and the magical and certainly God has a hand in giving the doctors all the skill that they need to do. I am good. Um, that don't mean that I'm back 100%. I've got about three weeks before I can. Everybody teases me about golf, but it's before I can get back to full activities, about three weeks to let everything heal where they punched toes and prodded. But thank you. I am doing very, very well. I thank Brother Kevin and the rest of the staff, the rest of the leaders who kind of took up the slack in my stead. Last Sunday, it was a distressing, disturbing, and divinely appointed day. I was distressed and disturbed because when Deborah and I sat down to tune in, we really wanted to worship with you guys and hear Brother Kevin bring the word. And uh, when I went to the stream, it didn't stream. And I knew we had some issues because our, sir, our our guys who does that made some changes, and I was a shorter day, so we didn't get it done. And we, now, just so everybody's okay, wow. um, Mitch bailed us out. He recorded it video. we were able to upload it to YouTube and and to uh, uh, Facebook on Monday, so it's there. And we got it all fixed this week. And you can tell your friends and family if they want if they can't attend it. I don't give them this so they can stay home. But if they can't attend, it now comes on our, on our Facebook page or YouTube page, and now it's streaming on our website newhopefoxworth.org. So they it can be found out there. So, um, but it was distressing for me. But it was also a divine appointment because when I couldn't stream here. Deborah and I set up to find a place where we could stream, where we could receive God's Word. And it was a friend of mine, another Brother Kevin, by the way, Brother Kevin Ham. Pud, do you remember meeting Brother Kevin Ham down in Bay St. Louis? And it was a divine appointment because every word that he spoke to First Baptist Gardendale became a seed in my soul. And just as surely as I planted that little garden over there and And last week when I couldn't check on it for three or four days, it just kind of mushroomed. This seed has kind of exploded with a message for today. Today I'm preaching as much as any other time. I'm preaching for a verdict. I'm preaching for a response. I'm preaching for a reaction. Because God's Word leads us to a reaction. It leads us to a response. And what will those responses be? Now, I don't kid myself. Some people have already tuned it out, shut it off, going to ignore it because we've done our due of just being in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. We don't need to get too much more involved. Some will consider what I'm about to share with you. Some will embrace it. And here's what I want to tell you. There is nothing that your pastor wants more for you guys, for us guys. And I don't believe there's anything that this church wants any more than to have everybody here have a life that's flourishing, have a, have a life that's filled with peace and joy and love and hope and security. And, and you found that sweet spot in life. But I'm going to say this to you, until we find God's will for us, we will never find the sweet spot. In life. So today, you see the brick wall over my head? That represents something. A lot of times we try to live life by our own and we run up against a brick wall. But today I want to ask you a question. It may be a simple question, but it's not an easy question. I was told in seminary not to, not to title your messages with a question, but here it is what kind of legacy? Are you leaving? Now, I didn't ask if you were leaving a legacy, because from the very youngest of us to the very oldest of us, we are leaving some kind of legacy. What I want to know is what kind will it be? How long will it last? What will your influence do? Is it the legacy that God wants you to leave? Mark your pastor's words. Where God fits into your life determines the legacy that you are leaving. Our text today is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Pud, that's the fifth book in the Bible, just so you know, huh? trying to help with Todd, the fifth book in the Bible. I'm, I'm just trying to help, okay? Deuteronomy, chapter six. Deuteronomy is an interesting book. Likely next week we're going to move to Joshua, which is the next book. But Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy, it largely restates the laws and the and, and guidelines that were written in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. But it also is the book where Moses is beginning to say goodbye. He's beginning to march off the scene, and he is, he is trying to get his people ready for a transfer of leadership to Joshua. He's been their leader since they left Egypt, since they were exiles from Egypt. Over 40 years, He, I mean, he led that... Baptist bunch of hard-headed, knuckle-headed people all through the wilderness for 40 years. And now he's beginning to get ready to say goodbye. And this is kind of his first attempt. We're going to read the first nine verses. If you can and are able, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word? And he he speaks to the people and Moses says, This is the command, the statutes and ordinances... The Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands I am giving you, your sons and your grandsons, And so that you may have a long life. Now, some translations say so you may have a good life. Verse 3. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly. Because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them while you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that in the next few moments, as we share your word, I pray that You will empower Your Word. And I pray that Your Word will penetrate our hearts and penetrate our souls, open our eyes and our ears and our souls and our hearts to hear from You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Russian. Revolutionary, the founder of the Russian Communist Party, the one who said that the goal of socialism is communism. His name is Vladimir Lenin, is what he goes by. And he's the one that made this statement. Give me just one generation of youth, and I'll transform the whole world. By the way, he also said, if you'll give me your youth for four years, I will plant a root in them that will not be unearthed. I'm afraid that may be where we are in America today. And for those that might think that socialism and communism are not so bad. Vladimir Lenin said this. Atheism is the natural and inseparable part of communism. Why in the world, Brother Jerry, would you start here with this? My reasons are simple. As I begin to study as I begin to study what Moses was telling them, as I begin to think about this thing of, of heritage and legacy, as, as, as I hear Moses' impassioned plea to convey to the people how to honor God's name, how to keep God's word, and how to impact people beyond himself, these words weigh heavily on me. I think about Moses and, and how all the things that he had witnessed. I mean, he had witnessed their lack of faith. He had witnessed their lack of courage. He had lit, witnessed their lack of belief in. He had witnessed their lack of trust in God. The God who had rescued them from the hands of the Egyptians. And and he knew, he's, he saw enough to know enough that the children of Israel were, had trouble ahead because of their lack of faith. This is Moses' first attempt. Their first attempt to try to teach them to love God and to trust God for their future. And I believe it's for us too today. I believe he's, when you look around at our, our church in America is in such trouble. And the future lies ahead And too many of us have our eyes backwards if we could just go back. I think Pud said it's Wednesday night, and it's never going to go back. Let me just give you a secret. God doesn't want us to go back. He wants us to trust Him, love Him, and go forward. So from this text, I want to give you, you probably have the outline in the bulletin. I want to give you three thoughts, just kind of run around this, for you and for me. The first thing that I see that I would call is your command. Your command. In verse 1, the word command is used twice. He says, this is the command the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. There is a command there. The word command, okay, about to get in trouble. A command is not a suggestion, it is not a good idea, it is not a nudge. A command is an ultimatum. And did you know that's how God works? God speaks His Word and we are to respond to it. A preacher is not God's PR person to get people to join God and add Him into their life. A preacher delivers God's message. The Holy Spirit envo- uh, empowers God's message and people respond one way or another to the message God has given. It's not up for debate. The truth is we, one of the problems with our culture today is everybody is trying to redefine what God has already defined. We have no right to redefine what God has already defined. We want to define right and wrong. I'm going to steal from Jimmy and some of those guys in that class out there. Because they mentioned this when we did the the Tony Evans Kingdom Man study. Please listen. You may have heard this in Sunday school. You can mark it down. Right is right, even if nobody does it. And wrong is wrong, even if everybody does it. Did you get that, kids? Right is right. It doesn't matter what your friends say or what they do. Wrong is wrong. It doesn't matter. God defines right and wrong. God defines uh, genders. He created a male and female. There is no other gender. And to think, you watch on TV... Thankfully, we still have followers of Christ in our school system. Can you imagine being in a school system where they're teaching um, preschool, elementary? That they get to choose another gender and nobody knows what it is? That's an affront to God. That's not an affront to you and me. That's an affront to God who created male and female. And by the way, that's marriage. One man, one woman. He defines what marriage is. We have no right to redefine it. And His perfect will is one man, one woman for life. But if you read your Bible closely, there are some times when because of our hard-heartedness. Did you realize that the reason for divorce today is because of our hard-heartedness? That people get outside of God's will. But here's what I want to say to you. Is that God has already defined it. And you and I will never, never, never know the blessings of God if we choose not to live by His Word. If we choose to live outside of His Word, we will never understand the blessing and the favor of God. Now, your command, Brother Jerry, where are you going with this? Your command is to do this. You are to teach your family. Teach your family. Now we're gonna put it up there one at a time. Don't jump the gun on me there, Mitch. We, but but God, but Moses is telling them to teach your family to fear God and to love God. To fear God and to love God. Let's take that one at a time. Let's look at to fear God. He teaches us. He tells us that we should teach our family to fear God. Now I want to say that again because we live in a no fear society. Fear God. There is so much pushback from this today that many preachers will not even address the subject. The truth is, is that Solomon, let's back up, David and Solomon. Psalm 111, Psalm, Psalm, uh, what is it, 5? Excuse me, Proverbs 9, Psalm 111, Proverbs 9 says... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So we get real knowledge and we get real wisdom when we fear the Lord. Hello? Let me ask you a question. Young people, you're exempt from this. How many adults in here, You thought you knew it all until you grew up. Okay, the rest of you show up about 1 o'clock. I'm going to preach on lying. You thought you knew it all until you grew up, and then all of a sudden mom and dad knew quite a bit, more than you gave them credit for. The truth is, fearing God grants you and I knowledge, young and old alike, that the world does not understand. It grants us wisdom that the world does not understand. Because his wisdom and his knowledge are truth. It was true in the beginning. It's true today. And it'll be true when this world comes to an end. And when you know the truth, or listen, it gets good. Watch how Bill's. He's the truth. When you know, to know the truth is to be set free. So when you know Jesus, you are set free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. The fear of God is the starting point. It's the beginning point. And I would just tell you, we could spend all day talking about the fear of God, which is a subject most people don't want to talk about, over 40 times as I studied for this message, over 40 times in Scripture, the fear of God. And its benefits are available to us in Scripture. But I'm going to remind you, if you're one of those that don't think you're supposed to fear God, Psalm 36, Romans 3, tells us that the sin of the wicked is no fear of God. When people fear God, lives are changed. When we fear God, it changes how we live. That's a message that needs to be heard. We need to teach that to our families today in the midst of this no-fear culture. We need to, we must, we have to teach fear of God. Jesus said, Fear those, fear not those who can destroy the body. Fear those who can destroy the soul. So much more I'd like to say, for the sake of time we'll move on, I'll just say this. If you don't fear God today, here, in this world, you will there one day in his world. Our command is to teach our family to fear God. The second thing is to teach our family to love God. He says it down there. This is that great commandment, verse, five, uh, verse 4, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. you know what that means? That means to give God totally, complete, and exclusive devotion. I want to say that again. To love God means to give him total, complete, and exclusive devotion. And Mark, when Jesus quoted this passage, Mark, Ed, and mind," so it's heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus said this was the first and the greatest commandment. Loving God in this way. Is putting him front and center of your life. Now, when we look at our text, Moses is preparing them and he's preparing for his exit. You could find in Deuteronomy that he keeps pointing keeps pointing them toward God being the love of their life. God being the Love of their life. When someone is the love of your life, most of your life centers around them. This might be a good place for me just to ask. Who or what is the love of your life? Well, Brother Jerry, how do I know? Well, I can tell you how to know. It's, this is a very simple, down-to-earth, practical way. It's where you spend your time, and it's where you spend your money. And what what controls you? The truth is, the way we express our love these days is time and money. Our command is to teach our family this legacy, this heritage of fearing God and loving God. It's a command. The second thing I see in this that helps us as we're trying to determine this legacy we're leaving is your call. Is your call. God has put a call on you, He calls us. The world calls us. There are so many people calling on your life, the, the, the world tries to call you away. From God. Make no mistake, the world calls you. The world tries to command you uh, to abandon God and go their way, to do their thing, to teach these things in the world. But God Himself calls us. Let me just break it down into, into two thoughts. Two thoughts here. If you're going to teach your family to love God and to fear God, two things that you're going to need, that you're called by God to have. First of all, you're going to embrace a faith that's biblical. Embrace a faith that is biblical. A faith that is biblical is not a faith that someone told you about unless they told you accurately. It is a faith that is Bible-based, based on the words. If you look there, he, he says... Uh, um, Look in verse 6. These words I am giving you today. These are the words that God gave Moses to give to the people. Today there are many people that are, who, are, who are trying to redefine all the things that we've talked about, particularly faith. They will argue and argue and argue and argue about following Jesus and what it means. And they may win the argument with you, but they may—they will never win the argument for eternity. They will never have the last word. This book tells us about what it is to have a biblical faith. Let me step on some toes. Your favorite aunt, your favorite uncle, your grandparents, your spouse. No matter what their name is. Aunt Jemima. Uncle Randolph. And sweet Aunt Susie. They are not going to go to heaven just because they are good. The Bible says this; that it's still true. There are still none righteous. No, not one. There are still none of us who are sinless. The wages of sin is still death. There is still a place called hell for those who reject Christ, for the sinner who rejects Christ. And they will not make heaven and they will, they will miss heaven and they will make hell no matter what is said at the grave site. Recently, a couple of weeks ago, I read on Facebook, that someone I know, I wouldn't call him a friend. He was a, his dad was a, one of my close friends. He died. His grieving sister, who loved him dearly, put on Facebook, he's enjoying heaven with dad today. And you go, "Well isn't that sweet?" I guess, if you think so. You know what I thought? I thought, if he's in heaven with his dad, it's probably more like hell. Because he never wanted anything to do with God or God's people or his dad very much when he was on Earth. Why in the world do you think he's going to enjoy being in heaven if he didn't want to be with God's people on earth? Brother Jerry, you're cold-hearted. No, I'm trying to be a realist because here's the truth. If you think being good and sweet and kind gets you into heaven, you're going to wind up in the place that likely he did. A biblical faith is a faith that understands the difference in heaven and hell being saved through the blood of Jesus and lost for all of eternity in a place never designed for Him. You understand the difference in God's way and the world's way. You understand that this faith is rooted in Jesus. And that type of faith that saves you is a faith that changes your life forever. Forever. If we're going to teach our families, we have to embrace a, a faith that's biblical. The words that I'm speaking to you today. But we also have to embrace a, a faith that's personal. Personal. Verse 6, he says, These words I've given you today, biblical, are to be in your heart. Personal. Personal. Something that's in your heart is extremely personal. Your faith, or lack of it, is very personal. Biblical, personal faith changes your life. It changes your want to. It changes your priority. It changes your direction. When I read about Moses... And I read the words of Moses in Deuteronomy. I'm reminded of some of the things that I've already said. He knows, he knows that if the faith is in their heart, they will never long to go back to Egypt. They will never long for yesterday. They rather will look to the one who saved them and look to the future. I have a personal conviction. I believe it is impossible to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and leave Him on the sideline of your life. Because of who He is When it's personal, it's up close. When it's up close and personal, it's palpable because people can see Jesus in you. At this point, at this point, you can have a godly and godlike heritage to leave. So as I, as I make my way down this chapter, we see the command to teach your family to fear and to love God. You see your personal call to have a relationship with God that's biblical and personal. But I want to end with your challenge. Your challenge. You know what a challenge is? It's something that you know you have to do, must do, and it's tough to get to. I don't want you to miss this. This is the heart of this message today. The challenge is to transfer your faith. To transfer your faith. You cannot transfer what you don't possess. You can't give what you don't got. That's not good English, but it's accurate. Peter said, silver and gold, we don't have, but we're going to give you what we have. You see, that's why it's so important to respond to the call. I'm just to give you two thoughts about this challenge. First of all, if you have that biblical faith and you have that personal faith, first of all, in your life, you must make it important. You must make it important. When you read down here in verse seven, he says, Repeat it to your children. Tell them about it when you're sitting in your house, when you walk along, whatever you do, tell them about your faith. Don't get locked, jaw. I'm convinced. Now I can say this because we have such a good group of teenagers. Hopefully, the children that are being trained the same way. But parents, grandparents, don't get locked, you when it comes time to t- share your faith. I mean, you can share all the other good things. You can share the parties. You can share the, the proms. You can, you can share the ball games. You can share all the things that you want to share. But don't get locked, you when it comes time to share about Jesus. We teach our children those things that are most important to us. We make sure. But too often, too often in our lives, we come into a room like this where we're supposed to worship and honor God. And we sit there with our mouths shut. And when we get out the door, we can't wait to start talking about something else. You know what? If you want to be mad at me, be mad at me. I have heard and I've heard and I've heard that ball team's on fire that ball players on fire they're on fire they're on. you know what i'd love to hear somebody say this church is on fire i love them to say those people they love jesus and they are on fire for him most natural thing we do is we transfer to our children those things that are truly important to us. I shared this with you a couple of months ago, but I want to put it on the screen that put it on the screen then. Words from Tony Evans. He says, "In faith, for our forefathers, it was an experience. For our fathers, it was an inheritance. For us, it's a convenience for our kids. It's a nuisance." And I want to just tell you something about, about teenagers, young people today, young adults. I can spot a phony a mile away. You try to tell them something about Jesus and you don't have it, they'll know. The truth is is that, is that if faith, if your faith is not personal, if it's not biblical, then it's not important enough to share or talk about. Last week as we listened to Brother Kevin expound this particular text, what Tony said resonated in my mind as Brother Kevin put up there his four-generation fade. I'm going to ask Mitch to work with me here. Four-generation fade. So we're going to take it one at a time. The first one is parents don't make church attendance a high priority for their kids. Oh, we go to church, yeah, every week. Well, no, not every week. We go whenever it's convenient. We go when we don't have anything else to do. I could really track this down because I have watched parents in other places where travel ball was the highlight of their life. And every weekend, they were gone. Three weekends out of the month, they were gone playing ball. And then they didn't understand it the fourth weekend when they came in and they got up Sunday morning and the kids go, I'm exhausted. And all of a sudden, it's not important to them. The truth is, the truth is if, If it's not a priority to you, it's probably not going to be a priority to your kids. Because that's generation one. Parents don't make church attendance a high priority for their kids. So the next generation comes along and those kids grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids. It's fading away. And then the third generation comes along. Those kids grow up and they make it no priority for their kids. Now, to me, when Brother Kevin got to this point, my heart was, there's an underlying issue here. You commit your kids to church, and you're committing them to the wrong thing. Because in the fourth generation, those kids grow up, and they have no concept of God. Because they've not seen Him in three generations. You see, the truth is, The truth is, what I'm really trying to say is this. Whatever is important to you is what you're going to imprint on your children. It's not what you want them to think is important. It's what is really important in your heart. What are we teaching our next generation? Are we really teaching them about faith? Are we teaching them about folly? Are we teaching them about fun? The things that you think are important to you, what, what will they be like? What, what will they be in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 100 years? In fact, think 100 years down the road. You know what will be important then? Your faith. Your eternal resting place. The legacy that you have left behind. Verse 7 says, Talk about it. Repeat it everywhere. Make it important. And then finally, make it significant for you. Your challenge is to make it significant. He says in verse 8 and 9 bind it as a symbol on your forehead, write it on your doorpost, make it public. Come out of the closet. Everybody else is. Let people know whose you are and who you are. The challenge Moses gave to these people was to let people know because because the world system, please listen, the world system is pulling you out, pulling you away, pulling you down, pulling you. I want to end with a story. It's from Luke 16. You've heard the story many times, but you've probably never heard it like this. There was a man, there lived a man who was very well off. We are told that he ate well, he dressed well, He had a family all around him, five brothers, all their family. He taught them well. He taught them about the business. He taught them about finances. He taught them about how to party. He taught them about all kind of things. Well, they never gave much everyday thought to God. I mean, they didn't really have to trust God for anything because... They had it all figured out. They had it all there. But then he died. And the scripture says it was in hell that he lifted up his eyes and he saw paradise. And immediately in hell he was concerned about his family. And he knew that his influence was not going to send them to paradise that he was witnessing, but was going to send him to this place of torment. And he begged Abraham, he said, would you send back somebody from the dead? By the way, God did send somebody from, back from the dead. His name was Jesus. And you go, brother Jerry. How does that? How does that equate to me? Because I know I'm going to heaven. Okay, perhaps, perhaps. So let's change the story. In this room, most of us, we fare sumptuously. We eat well. We dress well. We teach and we train our families. We do all those things well to leave this legacy. And then we die and we wind up in heaven. And just as sure as the rich man could see from hell to paradise, you could see from paradise to hell. And you look down there and your mind goes back on earth. And you think about the legacy that you left with your family. And you know. That nothing in your legacy, nothing you left them, nothing you transferred to them is going to help them miss that place that you look down there and see in torment. What's heaven going to be like for you then? Could that be the very reason that in Revelation 4 that God has to wipe away tear from every eye? I end... The way I began. What kind of legacy are you leaving? Your family will be able to find, buy cell phones and houses and cars, go to the church building, the ballpark, and the rest. But because of your legacy, because of your influence, will they find Jesus? Because He's the answer. Let's pray together.